0: Well, good morning, VRVC man. It is so good to see you uh, in person online i 'm trying to see you uh, and it is just great to see if I haven't met you yet, my name is Larry, and I just wanted to say uh, thank you so much uh, to this church for uh, the gift of a six week sabbatical at time of just tremendous rest and renewal and I wanted to just publicly Thank you for that. You know, I don't know, uh, you know, you ever had like a problem with your computer and you couldn't get it to work and you unplugged it for a while and then plugged it back in and it magically worked? Uh, uh, sometimes I just, you know, for me at least, there's something about, you know, sabbatical and Sabbath and unplugging and uh, so grateful we were able to spend uh, uh, a little over a month of that time in, in New York City, which is the city where my uh, mom uh, grew up and uh, we enjoyed Uh, worshiping and sightseeing and reading and walks through Central Park and Jimmy Fallon and coffee shops and pizza and bagels, sometimes bagels for breakfast and bagels for lunch and, uh, and more coffee. And it was just it was just tremendous, and so, uh, so grateful. Thank you, church, and now I've got to figure out if I can remember how to, how to preach. Is it like riding a bike, you think? I don't know, we'll, we'll see. I need training wheels, but uh, I'm also excited to, to launch this new series with you uh, on the Old Testament prophet Elijah. You know, one of the things I love most about uh, the Bible is that God uses all kinds of people, right? Because we uh, we are represented by all kinds of people here. And yet God uses every different kind of person. Uh, there's no single personality type uh, that God uses. Uh, God uses men and women. He uses young and old. He, he uses introverts and extroverts. Uh, he uses prophets and priests, he uses warriors and poets, sometimes in the Case okay, so of King David, warrior poets uh, God uses. He, uh, he uses gentle encouragers like Barnabas. He uses fiery evangelists like John the Baptist. God uses all kinds of people. And one of the, the fascinating people that in the Bible that God uses is this prophet Elijah. By the way, there's an Elijah with a J. There's an Elisha with an SH. And we're talking about the J. Dude, uh, Elijah. He lived during a terrible chapter in uh, Israel's history. He lived in an era that called for strong leadership, and, and one of Elijah's greatest legacies to us, that we're going to be looking at from a different facet facet each week, is the legacy of courage. It, it is this kind of grace under fire, and we're going to see his courage as he confronts a sinful king and queen, as he confronts a decadent culture, and, uh, and we're going to be asking, God, would you fill us with that same kind of courage uh, as we uh, face our struggles and opportunities? Uh, and so I'd love for you to have your Bibles open to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to talk about courage in a time of opposition. We face opposition from so many things in life, don't we? And, uh, and we want to see how God, and especially how God's truth, support us. Uh, when we are being opposed. And so 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Careth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Careth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. May God bless the reading of his word. When I was 19, I was privileged to be a youth minister at a church in South Texas, and I was also privileged to meet a a family, uh, and uh, the, the oldest boy in the family was my age, and his name was Larry too, it's a classic name, and, uh, and he um, lived at home but worked at a, at a refinery and so by my eyes he was rich, you know, and he was able to buy all these toys like a trampoline and a weight set and a boat. And, uh, and my friend Larry was, was the guy who taught me how to water ski. A lot of Saturdays we'd kind of go out on the river in his boat, and uh, I'd love to tell you that uh, that he explained how it worked, and then I got up uh, on the water the first time. I'd love to tell you that, but that would not be true, uh, nor did I get up the second time or the third time or the fourth. You know, it took me a long time just to figure out how to, like, line my body up in the water with my skis sticking out and the, the rope, you know, how it kind of weaves through the skis and then holding on to the stick. It took me a while just to figure that whole thing out, and then he would, my friend Larry would gun the boat, and I would try every time, I would try to, like, I didn't like being drugged through the water, and I would try to stand up on the water like I'm Jesus, and, uh, and I can walk on water, and I would try to stand up, and every time I would get kind of, you know, top heavy topple over, and, uh, and just swallow all this water, and get a water headache, and, and, uh, and, you know, my friend Larry would just kind of patiently, like, he just like, let you know, dial it back, and then he'd circle the boat around me. And every time, he would say the same thing to me. He would say, let the boat do the work. Let the boat pull you up. You're trying to stand up in your own strength. It's not going to work. Let the boat do the work. The boat will pull you up. And eventually, it did. Now, it strikes me that Elijah's story follows a similar theme. It teaches us, if you will, if I can use this image, that the Word of God is our rope, okay? Uh, And it's backed by all the heavenly horsepower of God. And what we need to do as Christians is to hang on to the Word of God and to let the Word of God do the work. That's the theme for the sermon. Let God's Word do the work. Let God's Word power us. When I was, uh, you know, behind Larry's boat, I tried to do the work, and I never got more than a few feet before I ended up swallowing a lot of river water. Not very tasty. But when I finally figured out how to let the boat do the work, I got to harness its power. Elijah had to learn to let the Word of God do the work. And I want to talk about this. I want to talk about three aspects of this. The first thing he had to learn was to let the Word of God confront what the word of God confront. Whether we like it or not, one of the most important and helpful functions of God's word is that it confronts. It exposes what is healthy, or unhealthy rather. What exposes what is unhealthy in our lives, uh, in, our, in our institutions, in our families, in our church, in our nation. The word of God exposes what is unhealthy. And what this means is that oftentimes initially, When when we encounter the Bible, the Bible stings. I don't have a whole lot of uh, culinary tricks. I make buttered toast. uh, I make pancakes. uh, But one of my few culinary, nachos in the microwave, but one of my few culinary tricks is I make limeade. And it's really kind of simple if you want my recipe. It's water, lime juice, and an obscene amount of sugar. That's how you do it. And, uh, And so here's what I've noticed. I've made a lot of limeade in my life. And here's what I have noticed that if, if my hands are, are perfectly healthy, I can squeeze lime after lime after lime and that lime juice might as well be water on my fingers. But let there be one little hidden cut that I don't even know about. And guess what? The lime juice will inform me of it. The lime juice will find it out. The lime juice will confront whatever is unhealthy in my fingers. When I think of Elijah's ministry, I think of this ministry of the Word of God and and, and how God's Word does something similar. It finds spiritual infection, sometimes that we didn't even know know was there, and it finds a spiritual infection, not for the main purpose of bringing pain to us, but ultimately for the purpose of alerting us so that it might bring healing to us. Elijah's ministry, if I can say it this way, is like that lime juice, or better, it's like rubbing alcohol. Right? And there was so much infection, there was so much sickness in Israel, and especially the, whole, the, the royal family. And so, the, the, the purpose of this confronting ministry of God's word was ultimately not to harm but it was to bring healing. So what I wanna do, I know some of you um, that I talk to, you love history, and some of you that I talked to you don't uh, get a whole lot out of history, but I think it's important that you know a little bit about the historical scene. So I'm just gonna kinda of get in and get out of some of this history, but, but, but here's where we are. Due to the sin of Israel's main leaders, the kingdom of, of Israel split into two parts. And, uh, and Elijah comes on the scene about 60 years after that split. And he comes on the scene in the northern part. I mean, both, both the north of Israel and the south of Judah, both, both parts of the kingdom struggled. But probably there was even more evil up north. And that's where Elijah's ministry starts. It, it is up up north. And, uh, and, and Elijah comes on the scene. And here he is, there's so much wickedness. Like, like, like at the top of the org chart, kings and queens, there's so much wickedness. And Elijah comes in, and, and I think this is interesting. I mean, Elijah's very name, El, uh, you know, uh, Eli means, means my God, right? And then Yah, Jah, or Yah means Yahweh. His very name announces, my my God is Yahweh. My allegiance is not to any foreign God. My allegiance is to Yahweh. The same God that revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. This is who Elijah is in his name and his essence. And one of his main jobs is confrontation. So why confrontation? Well, we need to back up a little bit. And I need to tell you a little bit about the king and queen that uh, were were reigning in Israel at the time Elijah comes on board. Uh, Their names were Ahab and Jezebel. Isn't that a beautiful name? Jezebel, just kidding. Uh, And Ahab and Jezebel had, had virtually forgotten all about Yahweh's holy character and holy expectations. We'll take King Ahab first. Um, I'm backing up from the passage that I read you, chapter uh, 16, and then verse 30. Uh, chapter 16, verse 30 says this. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those those kings before him. There were a lot of evil kings that came before Ahab including Ahab's father, Amri who actually built this new city of Samaria to to be a religious counterpart to Jerusalem and and, and, and here, uh, you know, Ahab comes along and and he did more evil than even his dad. He's this MVP of evil, if that makes any sense and it probably doesn't. It's like he wanted to see who could be crowned the most evil king in Israel's history and that's where, where where he kind of rose up uh, in this campaign of evil. And one of the uh, wicked things that he did was he married a woman uh, from the the region of of Tyre and her name was Jezebel. Now the region of Tyre is the center of the worship of a rain god and his name is Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal. And Baal has a girlfriend, the the goddess Asherah, and Jezebel was so crazy about these two false gods, Baal and Asherah, that she assembles a team of 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And her husband, who's supposed to be devoted to the worship of Yahweh across the land, he actually builds a temple for Baal. He puts in an idol of Asherah. And and, and the worship of these gods, I mean, it it involved uh, prostitution. It involved child sacrifice. There was so much evil and spiritual unhealth going on. Now, here's one of the ironies. Economically, all was well in the kingdom of Ahab and Jezebel. The stock market was going up and up and up. So were the standards of living. Physically, economically, people were rich. But spiritually, they were going bankrupt. We see this so often in Scripture, don't we? It's like uh, in the days of Samuel. Do you remember this? Uh, In in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says, In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Or it's like in the days of the prophet Amos, a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Or it's like this church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. They thought that they were wealthy and they were economically, but Jesus says to them in Revelation 3, you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Spiritually, you are impoverished. Right? Because, we, because we don't have God's word and God's spirit living in us. Don't you find that a bit chilling? That it is possible for us to be financially in the black, and spiritually in the red. Isn't that a little frightening? I mean, I wonder uh, if we could ask ourselves, what is it in my life, right? What is it in my life that God's truth might confront today? Maybe it's kind of like that lime juice. I didn't even know that spiritual infection was there until God's word. What is it in my life that God's word might want to confront? You know, I agree with those who say that in many ways the pandemic has not so much created problems as revealed underlying problems. In our lives, in our families, our churches, our institutions, it's revealed problems in our souls. So one of the questions we have to ask is, you know, what does the word of God need to confront? Is it, are we puffed up with pride? Are we eaten up with lust? Are we green with envy? Are we seized by gluttony? Are we red with anger? Are we infected with greed? Are we immobilized by sloth, just to name what some call the seven deadly sins, right? What we need is for God's word to confront us, whatever's unhealthy. In his autobiography, the singer Johnny Cash talked about how much his wife, June Carter Cash, loved him. And he said, she loved me enough to confront me. And he said, what she often was confronting me about was my addiction. And he said this, he said, June knew the kernel of me deep inside, beneath the drugs, beneath the deceit, beneath the despair, beneath the anger, beneath the selfishness. She knew the kernel of me, and he said, she knew my loneliness, and she said, she said, Johnny, I can help you. But he said, that help often came in the form of confrontation. He said, if she found my pills, she flushed them down the toilet. And find them she did, he said, because she searched for them relentlessly. The story of Scripture is a God who sees us deep down, who knows that we are made in the image of God, who knows that sin has ravaged us. It's the story of a God who loves us enough to tell us the truth. It's the story of a God who pursues us relentlessly. And what we need to do is to let the word Do the work. To do the work, first of all, of confrontation. But there's another kind of work, and this involves a kind of patience for us, and that is to, secondly, we need to let the word of God act. We need to trust God's word and trust that God's word will do what it says. To have the faith to let God's word do what what God has said it will do. And that's what Elijah had. We, We never get the impression that Elijah was rich, influential, that he had many friends, But what he did have was this ironclad trust, most of the time, this ironclad trust that if God said it, God would do it. If God said it, God would act on it. And so in verse 1, the passage that we read, what does Elijah do? He preaches this mini-sermon. He preaches it initially to this audience of one, the king, but eventually the sermon is for the whole land. Uh, and, And so listen to this little sermon. You're probably thinking, man, I wish Larry could preach that briefly but uh, here it is it says now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab the king remember as the Lord the God of Israel not not Asherah not Baal as the Lord of God of, of God of Israel lives whom I serve there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word one man stands up against an evil culture and confronts it He dares to speak the name of Yahweh to a people drunk on the worship of false gods. And he declares a coming drought, not just a few weeks, a few months, but years. Chapter 18, verse 1 tells us three years. Now, there's something not so subtle going on here. Because this this, uh, God that everybody was worshiping, Baal, he was the rain god, he was the rainmaker. They worship Baal because they thought Baal would give them the rain, the rain would give them the crops, the crops would give them the standard of living they all sought. And Elijah comes in the name of the living God, and he says, "Let's see who's really active in this world. My God can stop the rain." Now I've never seen anything that dramatic, uh, a holy three-year-long drought. But I have seen the the word of God proven true time and again. It is active, it works. I'm just gonna give you a couple of examples of this. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That sounds sounds nutty, doesn't it? That it's more more blessed to to give than to receive. We think just the opposite should be true. And yet I will tell you that some of the most miserable people I've ever met, are folks who are constantly acquiring more and more and more and more toys and yet the toys don't fulfill the happiness and I will tell you that some of the most generous people I know get so much joy from giving God's word works let me give you another example our culture uh, increasingly seems to act as if the mar- marriage itself or the marriage covenant is obsolete The idea that you would pledge yourself to someone for life is is ludicrous. Sometimes couples vow these days to, 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 you know, as long as we both shall uh, love instead of as long as we both shall love. I know marriage is complicated. I know one person can unilaterally harm a marriage. But some people see lifelong vows as antiquated. But the Bible paints a unique joy For faithful couples, Proverbs 5.18 says, let let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. I've seen a joy in happily married older adults that is breathtaking to behold. Have these couples had problem-free, perfect marriages? Of course not. Is there rejoicing? Absolutely Meanwhile, people who follow the lies of this world end up broken. They worship the God of money, and they end up with hollow souls. They worship the God of vengeance, and they end up drowning in their own rage. They exalt themselves in pride, and they end up being humiliated. If Elijah teaches us anything, he teaches us that the word of God, as Hebrews 4.12 puts it, is living and what? Active living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Let the word of God confront. Let the word of God act. But before I I maybe leave you discouraged because you're thinking about all the many ways you fail God's word, before I leave you discouraged, I I, want to assure you that God's word is also active in grace. It's active in law and it's active in grace. Romans 8:1. therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus that's the word of god what we could not do god did in sending his son jesus to to give us his forgiveness and grace on the cross we can trust this word this word acts this word frees us we can exalt in this word let the word of god confront let the word of god act but then ultimately, I think Elijah's life teaches us, let the word of God sustain. Let God's promises sustain you. Let, let it be your lifeline in the floodwaters. You know, life for Elijah, as we'll, as we'll see, it's going to be hard. It's going to be traumatic. But God's promises to Elijah prove Reliable. Yes, Elijah speaks this sermon to an audience of one, a corrupt king named Ahab. That word that confronts Ahab's sin starts to do its work. The rain stops, as I said, not just for days, not just for weeks, not just for months, but for years. And the drought affects everybody, including Elijah. Elijah doesn't get rain either. But, of course, that wasn't the last time God spoke. Verse 2 tells us the word of the Lord comes again. Verse 3 tells us that the word of the Lord is pointing Elijah toward a small brook near the Jordan River. And here comes that sustaining promise that we see in in verse 4. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. I think this is really important, friends. God didn't shelter Elijah from what was going on in his culture God didn't shelter Elijah from the punishment that that falls upon uh, sin, uh, sin writ large across a culture. But God promised to refresh Elijah. God promised to feed Elijah. I think this is important to remember because oftentimes, like with Elijah, our obedience to God's word will bring more hard times, not less. Oftentimes, our obedience will bring struggle. And Elijah's life is anything but easy. But James 5 speaks about Elijah. It says, Elijah was a human being just like us, but God used his prayerful obedience to accomplish powerful things. So here's the question. Where do we need to trust God's word right now? Where do you need to let God's promises sustain you? Is it physically something that you're facing in your body? Is it emotionally Uh, Is it in a a relationship? Uh, Is it at work? Is it vocationally? Is it spiritually? What would it mean to trust that God would sustain you? That God would protect you like he protected Elijah? I wonder where in your life you could claim, even today, a promise from Scripture and just say, I'm going to hang on to that promise. That promise is going to be my lifeline. You know, one of my all-time favorite illustrations about faith, uh, this faith in God's promises, comes from a, <clears throat> a spiritual writer. His name is Henry Nowen, and uh, not long before uh, Nowen's death, he wrote a book called "Sabbatical Journeys." And he wrote about some friends of his who were, believe it or not, trapeze artists. Their names were the Flying Rudellas, and uh, <clears throat> and so what what. Uh, now and friends shared with him is that there's a special relationship between uh, what's called the flyer and the catcher. Okay, so the flyer is the one who swings out and then lets go. That's the flyer. The catcher is the one who's got the legs anchored uh, to the bar there and comes along and 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 uh, and, and catches the flyer. And what uh, what Nowen learned was that. that the the flyer has a job, and you know what the job of the flyer is? The job of the flyer is to be as still as possible in midair. Now, I want you to imagine that somehow you've been flung out into space. What's your natural reaction going to be? You know, just like just grabbing at anything, right? Gr- clutching uh, at the catcher, anything, right? Because we're so anxious. We're trying to rescue and save ourselves. But I want you to imagine the catcher's coming along and you're flailing. How's that going to work? Right? We do what feels natural and yet it is the exact wrong thing to do. And so and says, his friend said, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch them, but they must wait. Elijah's the flyer, isn't he? His faith in God's word has put him in such a precarious position, such a vulnerable vulnerable position, and I'm sure like all of us, he, he wanted to flail and try to grab onto anything. But Elijah's job was to let God's word sustain him. Elijah's job was to, in the words of Hebrews, to fix our eyes on Jesus, right? To fix our eyes on God and to trust that God will be true to his word, to let the word of God do its work. Toward the end of Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul offers this unusual and powerful prayer. We don't often pray this for one another, we probably should, Uh, but it was a, a prayer for Roman Christians who were feeling such opposition Uh, And and persecution. And here's the prayer. Paul says "The, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. That's the challenge for Elijah. That's the challenge for every follower of Jesus. Is to believe that grace wins. To believe that grace is stronger than evil. Stronger than Satan's threat. Is to trust that one day the faithful will still be standing when evil is crushed into the dust, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I'll close with this. Remember my water skiing adventure? I don't know how many times, it's embarrassing to think about how many times I tried to stand up in the water and it didn't work. Topple forward, rope goes skimming across the water. And my friend Larry, I mean, how many times did he circle that boat, circle that boat, circle that boat, but finally the message sunk in. I, I grabbed that stick, right? knees flexed, arms straight. I, I, I let that, that boat drag me. I just felt like it was just, I was just going to dredge the river. I, it drugged me for so long it seemed like. But then guess what? My whole body came up on top of that water. I was actually skiing and I'm telling you, I know sometimes preachers exaggerate, but this is the truth. I had only been up on skis for the first time for about 15 yards when a water moccasin swam out in my path and I ran over him, right? (laughs) And I remember thinking, if I fall now, I'm going to let that stick drag me for 100 yards, you know, with that water moccasin out there. I'm so glad in that moment I was harnessed to a power that was not my own. I wonder how many times, friends, how many times do we try to take matters into our own hands and fail How many times do we try to walk on the water? How many times do we flail and try to catch the catcher? (laughs) I wonder how many times God has patiently circled that boat for me. Circle, circle, circle. And today God promises us that one day that old snake, that old serpent, will be under our feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Ah, Heavenly Father, we, we need this truth from your word today, Lord. Because so often we try to take matters into our own hands, Lord, so often We uh, try to do the work that we're supposed to do on our own. So often we don't trust you and your power. So often we don't trust you to catch us. So often, Lord, we lean into sinful maxims instead of trusting your holy word. But today, Lord, we pray that you would give us the, the faith, even a mustard seed of faith, To let your word do the work. To let your word do the work in us. May it confront our sin, Lord. May there be a spirit of confession right now in this room. May it act, Lord. May it fill us with your strength and power and courage. And then, Lord, as we face another week, may it sustain us all week long. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.